if I turn my mic on. Look at that. We're grateful that you carved out some time today to come together as a church family and to worship God again, whether you're here or in person. We're just grateful that you're here. Uh, and I'm going to begin with a quick housekeeping <clears throat> comment. And although you don't, wouldn't know it by the number of people here, I mean, we do have, uh, I mean, I think probably pre-COVID, seven, eight hundred people, maybe more, who would call Calvary their church home, even if they didn't even always come. And in a group that size, you're not going to know everybody. And so there's going to be some people who are going through some situations and some uh, things in life that you don't know, and we, we don't have the opportunity that we even might like to every single time one of you is hurting to share that. But what we do want to recommit to in 2021 is just letting you know when we have a member in our church who passes away to let you know that. Again, when we do these things, some of you may know exactly who they are and others of you may not know, um, but we want to let you know. And so there's a, a woman who's been part of our church for many, many years whose name is Eve Happis, and uh, we learned just a little bit ago before the first service that uh, earlier this morning, Eve went home to see Jesus. And um, if, again, some of you don't know her, but for those of you who do, she just has been so engaged in connecting with her youth and serving them and just uh, so faithful. And so um, it's a hard time for those of us who knew her, as is any loss, but we're celebrating her faith and we're celebrating that she's with Jesus and we're praying for her family. So I did want to pass that along. Again, our intent is, again, when a member passes, we'll let you know there, there may be times because of sequence of things we don't do that. That's not intentional. We also want you to know um, all the ways people tell us of hurts they have and ways you can pray. And so even though we aren't able to do that on Sunday morning, we do have a way, and that's through our prayer sheet. And we mention that a lot, but we mention a lot because we do have an opportunity in a forum for you to know what people are going through in the church people who let us know what they're going through in the church, right? We don't pull random things off Facebook feeds, but when people say they have some situations, we put it up there. If you'd like to be able to keep up with that and you're not yet on our prayer sheet, if you're in person today, you can grab your phone. There's a QR code in the chair in front of you. You can point your camera to it. It'll put you on a connect card and you can type in, I'd like to be on the prayer sheet or just type that. If you're home online live in this live stream, there should be a link on the, the video that'll link you to our connect card. Or if you're watching this later in the week, you can go on our website and hit connect card and you can indicate you want to be part of our prayer on our prayer sheet. Um, and if you just have larger questions beyond what's going on in our church and how people are hurting and you just have questions about our church, we have something coming up this week that I mentioned uh, last Sunday. We have a Start Here class on Tuesday night. It's a virtual class, but it's a time that we take where we kind of, man, the 40,000 foot view of Calvary. <clears throat> what do we believe? What's our strategy? How do we do ministry? It's a chance for people to ask questions. We then talk a little bit about our membership process. And so if you've been at Calvary for a while and you want to pursue membership and know what that's even about, or maybe you just want to learn more about Calvary, we'd invite you virtually for Start Here class. It's kind of exciting. We have a pretty good virtual room full of folks who are already signed up for that. And if that's something that would interest you, you can indicate that on our Connect card as well. So uh, I'm going to jump in today's series, and we're kicking off a new um, sermon series, and <clears throat> some of it's going to kind of be introductory material. But I know that anytime you open up God's Word, He doesn't waste it, and uh, I'm confident. I've, I've appreciated uh, the first service, and um, I'm hopeful that God will help remind us of some things in the second service this Sunday as well and, and point us to Him. And so I'm going to pray for that, because as I get older, I'm not that old, but as I get older, what I shared with the first service is, uh, you know, the older you get, and you do this a little bit while, you realize, um, I mean, I can tell a stupid joke or a dumb story, but I really mean, there's no way that I can do anything to touch your hearts. That's the Spirit of God. And so I'm confident that He doesn't waste His Word, and, but I'm also confident we need Him to work. And so that's why every week I pray, and I mean it, that He will work wherever you are this morning, either here in person, that there will be something for you today. And so let me pray for that, and we'll pray for... Uh, his grace over lots of families that are hurting today. And then at the end of the time, we are going to kind of have a time of prayer based on just where we find ourselves as a country, and I'll, I'll talk about that later, but we'll reserve some prayer for that towards the end of our, our service. So let me pray now. Father, uh, I'm thankful for <clears throat> how you worked in the first service and how um, just sense that you drew us to yourself, and uh, thank you for doing that. And I pray that 
In these moments now, Father, as we can come back to your word and open it up, that you will work, and I trust your spirit, Father, uh, to meet us where we are. We pray this morning for uh, the Happis family. We pray for other families who are experiencing loss and just questions, and we're confident that in those moments we don't come alone. We come to you. We're confident that we come with a faith that can sustain us and that you grip us. And so, uh, please continue just to give your grace to people this morning who are in desperate need to it, and we know that you do. And again, as we open up your word, Father, there's truth about you. Your word does not return void. It's like the rain that waters the grass and causes things to grow. And so will you enable us to grow closer to you through what you have for us this morning through your word? And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who we want to be honored. <clears throat> Amen. Well, uh, puzzles. My wife loves doing puzzles. Uh, I, I'm not the best puzzler. I don't think I have the patience, but I enjoy sitting next to her and doing it. Anybody here ever done a puzzle? Okay, seriously? Has nobody done a puzzle? Okay, good. Some of you have done some puzzles, right? And here's the deal with puzzles. Here are some puzzle pieces. These are not the puzzle pieces my family uses, just in case you're like, Smith, if you can't do that puzzle, you must be a moron. These are Calvary Church elementary school puzzle pieces that will make sure to COVID sanitize after I'm done. But, but here's the deal with puzzle pieces, right? In, in puzzles, different puzzle pieces have different pictures on them. So he, here's a little picture of this puzzle of a little bunny rabbit. It's a sweet little bunny rabbit. It's got like a little carrot. There's some other bunny rabbits right there. Here's a picture of a goat eating some corn. Here's a picture that confirms for us that we live in a fallen world because there's a cat on top of a roof. And clearly, cats must be part of the fallen world, right? And the deal with puzzle pieces is each little puzzle piece has a little bit of a picture you can look at, right? If any of the smaller ones, there's some colors, there's faces, there's signs, there's half of a seagull. And this picture, we know like, oh, we can learn some stuff about the little goat. We can learn some stuff about the little cat. We can learn some stuff about the little bunny rabbit. But, but here's the reality. By just looking at each individual puzzle piece, we can learn some things about what's going on in that individual piece, but we, it isn't until we put all of the pieces together that we get the big picture of what's going on in this amazing barnyard scene. We can know each piece kind of well, but until we put all the pieces together, we miss the bigger picture of what's going on and what's being told. And I think sometimes when <clears throat> we come to the Old Testament, when people in churches, when you and I, we come to the Old Testament, Sometimes we come to the Old Testament like a puzzle. And sometimes you and I, we might know this story, this little puzzle piece about this event, and maybe we know a couple of stories from the Old Testament, right? Yeah, the dude named Noah, we kind of know about that. Or maybe Jonah and the whale, we know about that. Or maybe we know 10 to 20 different puzzle pieces. But for many of us and many Christians, we might know individual pieces of the puzzle, but we don't really know how all of those pieces fit together. We don't really know how each of the individual Old Testament stories fit together to form the larger, bigger picture to make sense of the Old Testament. And so today what we're doing is uh, we're, we're kicking off a new series today. We promoted it last week, but for the next band, while in this series, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to look at different pieces of Old Testament stories and events, but then we're going to try to say, what is the big picture that the Old Testament's telling? How do all of these smaller pieces fit together to form the bigger picture? And, and we're going to begin that journey today. We're kicking off that trip, that adventure this morning in this sermon. Now, now a little bit of a word about the sermon. Uh, when at a, a certain point, I think it was my mother-in-law's birthday, man, my in-laws were so kind and they took all of us on a Disney cruise to celebrate her and celebrate this event. I shared a couple of years ago that that was my first cruise. And I, for some of you may remember, but I, literally I was really nervous about going on this cruise, right? And I literally, like a few nights before, Googled Rogue waves hit cruise ship. And let me tell you, it is frightening what happens out there in the wild waters. And so I was freaked out. I was panicked. But then I got on the boat and I'm like, okay, this is going to be good, right? I'm just a crazy person. And I was excited to get going. I was excited to kind of leave the port. Let's get to that little island they say they have. I want to see me some like porpoises and do some snorkeling. But here's the reality. If you've ever been on a cruise, before you actually leave port, before it's like, 
before the first waves of the journey, you know what? There is a lot of information that they have to go through. And so before they cast us off, we all had to meet outside on a deck. And there was some little Disney goofy character there, right? And it's like, okay, so here's how you walk out of your, th- little, your little room if there's an emergency. And if anything ever happens, you'll hear this word. And then you'll come stand here. And here's where the life jackets are. And here's where this is. And here's where you go for that. And there was lots of introduction. Well, this mo- and then after the introduction, boom, we launched off. This morning, as we launched this new series, right, before we actually take some waves into our journey, before we actually cast off and get into the text of the Old Testament, we're just going to spend a few minutes together getting some introductory information, right? And so what we're going to think about is this. What can we expect in this series? Um, what do we hope we accomplish in this series? What's a couple of big picture things about the Old Testament and then a couple of big picture things about Genesis and then we're going to get into the text of Genesis. And so first question is this. If you join us <clears throat> for the next few uh, while together in the series, the first question is this. What can you expect? What can you expect as you ride this journey with us to the Old Testament? Well, here's what you can expect. We're going to chronologically walk through the events, the characters, the moments, the stories of the Old Testament. Now, one quick disclaimer. I'm going to use the word story a lot, story a lot. That, and this is important, that does not mean that I'm saying that the historical narratives that we're going to study in the Old Testament are like a made-up fairy tale. It's not like Cinderella, right? So when I use the word story, that's just a shorthand word. I'm not doubting the truth of it. Um, And I just want to get that out, first of all. But we're going to chronologically walk through the different puzzle pieces in the Old Testament, the who's, the what's, the what happened. And the second thing you can expect is this, that as we do that, we're going to consider how each of those individual events are part of the larger story. This book, the whole book, There is one theme, there is one narrative, there is one grand story being told that every independent story supports and is part of, and we're going to think about what's that larger, grander scheme. You can expect us to do that. You can expect to come and to learn. Yeah, you can expect to learn, and I'd encourage you to come eager to learn. In fact, as I'll share, even when we get into Genesis today, there was something that I had to relearn because I'd forgotten it. And so hopefully through this time together, we're going to learn some things. I would ask you to come expectant and eager to learn, and I would even push it a step further. I'd challenge you, whether you're in person here or at home watching it live or watching it later in the week, I'd, I'd encourage you to take notes. Take notes. We're working and we'll be talking about how we can have some material digitally available like bulletin, fill in the blank, note things. I don't quite know how we're going to do that and it won't be tomorrow, but we'd like to. But here's what I say. If you're a a digital person, man, you charge up your iPad and your Apple Pencil and you come ready to take some notes. If you're not that, then you run out to your favorite stationery store, get you the nicest moleskin notebook you can buy. I will give you a link to buy a fountain pen on Amazon.com to make you feel like Ben Franklin and take notes. And here's why. Because we have an opportunity together to learn. And studies have shown repeatedly that when you write things down, you learn them. And we have a chance for you and for I together to learn some things that perhaps you've never heard before. You can expect that some weeks are going to be pretty teaching heavy and you're going to be in the middle of a sermon or, and you're going to be like, whoa, I feel like I'm in like a Bible college class. That's okay. And there's going to be other weeks when you come where it's going to be pretty application and not as much deep theology. You can expect a little different ratio of those two things. And you can expect that we're going to be on this journey together through the Old Testament in this uh, narrative series until the birds start chirping again and you're eating lobster rolls on the beach. Now, some of you may eat lobster rolls on the beach in February, but I don't. And so we're going to be in this study at least till late spring, early summerish, and you can expect to be in it a while, which is okay because there's a lot of stories to be told and there's a big story to be pressed into. And so the question then becomes this, what do we hope to accomplish? When we get to the end of our series and we look back, what is it that we have hoped that we together as a community will accomplish? Well, have you ever been in a church, and we as pastors need to do a better job of this, 
Have you ever been in a church and in the middle of a sermon or a Bible study or somewhere, somebody will get on upstage and say, hey, well, and you know the story about Solomon, and you know how this, and you're like, bro, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, right? And, and our hope is that when this series is over, right, one thing that you can, that we hope to accomplish is that maybe when this series is over, if a pastor is ever uh, not careful and they say that sort of thing, then you actually may be like, whoa, whoa I actually might know that story. You're not going to know every story, but we hope we do walk away with a reference point to some of the stories. We hope that what we accomplish in this is that we'll walk away with this series together with us having some understanding of the framework that builds and supports the Old Testament. The Old Testament is built on a bunch of contracts. There are a bunch of covenants, there are a bunch of contracts that God makes with his people that are the framing materials on which the Old Testament is built. And we hope to accomplish that when we're done with this, if somebody says to you, Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, new covenant, that that won't be some theological term that sounds scary or confusing, that you'll be like, boom, I know exactly what that thing is, and that you'll understand the framework. We hope that when we're done with the series, one of the things we'll accomplish is you'll understand the structure of the Old Testament and that you'll also know historically what was going on in the world as a bunch of the events in the Old Testament are unfolding. And the last thing is this, that we hope that when we come to the summer or the spring and our series, our narrative series is done, that we hope that one thing we will accomplish together is this, that we will all know God better. If all we do is learn a bunch of facts about the Mosaic Covenant, Abrahamic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, that's not a, it's not bad to learn those facts because we're about to spend about five months talking about them. But if all we leave here is with facts and we don't know God better, then we've missed a huge opportunity. And hopefully, maybe you've thought to yourself, man, I read the New Testament, <clears throat> and there's one God who seems loving and kind, and then I look in the Old Testament, there seems to be a different picture of God. My hope is that when we're done with this series, what you'll see is, you know what, there's not two different gods in the two different Testaments. There's one God. And throughout the Old Testament, moment after moment, story after story, that one God is dedicated to loving us and pursuing us and blessing us and being gracious to us and showing to us our stead, his steadfast love. And I hope we grasp that and appreciate that and understand that. So before we actually jump into the first sentence of the Old Testament, here's a few kind of big overarching ideas about the New Testament. First one is this, and we can pop it up on all of the screens we got going on here. First thing is, the Old Testament is made up of 39 separate writings, 39 separate writings. There's, about, there's at least 20 authors who were inspired by God who contributed to write those 39 separate writings. Those writings written by more than 20 people fall into all sorts of different genres of literature. Genres of literature. Think back to like fourth or fifth grade and you're in your cinder block elementary school classroom and it kind of smells like mold and chalk dust all combined into one. And there's some English teacher talking to you about different types of literature, different genres of literature. In the Old Testament, as we go through this study, we're going to see at least three different, at least three different genres of literature. We're going to see historical narrative, which means stories that are true. We're going to see poetry, and we're going to see prophecy. And there's probably two or three others that are sprinkled there, and this is why it's very important, because the way that we understand Exodus is very different than the way that we understand Micah. And you can't read historical narrative like prophecy, and you can't read poetry like prophecy, and you can't read prophecy like poetry, or else we get all confused. 
we're going to see different types of literature, and as we try to understand what that's conveying, we're going to first try to make sure we know the type of literature there. And the last thing is this. The Old Testament is not arranged chronologically. The first couple of books are, but then you're going to be, you know, you, you we're going along, we're reading different accounts, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, Song of Solomon. Like, what's going on there? And then the, it doesn't, if you read through it, you're going to read things that do not recount the order in which events occurred. And so one of the things we're going to try and walk away with this is a chart, a structure of, okay, what's the chronology, right? Here are the different books, but how did those events chronologically happen? And then again, what's going on in the history of what's going on? That, that, that's a kind of a big picture about the Old Testament. And now the first book of the Old Testament is Genesis. And chronologically, right, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And so as we jump on our journey, as we're about to untie from the dock and get into some text, let, let's think for a little bit about Genesis. Here's, this is Genesis, most conservative evangelical scholars think, was written by a guy named Moses. We're going to hear about Moses a whole lot of times throughout um, our studies and our conversations. Here's one really, really important fact, and bear with me, don't like, think I'm a heretic in the first comment. Genesis, and actually no book of the Bible, you and me, we were not the original audience of that book of the Bible. The book, that book of the, Genesis was not originally written. The first group of people to whom it was written were not Christians in 2021. Now, does it have truth for Christians in 2021? Absolutely. Has God preserved it for Christians in 2021? Yes. Is it alive and active? Yes. But every book of the Old Testament in Genesis, there was a group of people a long time ago who were the first recipients of that book. And that group of people were going through certain things that that book was written to try to address. Moses wrote Genesis, and the first audience that he had in mind when God was inspiring the first group of people to whom he wrote that book were the Jewish people. To the Jewish people, and interestingly, that Moses was not writing like a real-time event. So he's not there at creation writing down like, okay, wait, wait, it's day one, let me write that... Moses is writing this after the events occurred, and Moses is writing Genesis to the Jewish people who were facing some particular events in their own story. And I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, but here's the story, and we'll talk about it. The Jewish people had been slaves for a while. They are released by slavery. We'll talk about that in probably six or eight weeks. I don't know. And then they go into this journey, into this land that God's giving them. God's giving to them this land. And they're, they're, they're at some period of time away from walking into this land. And it has been a long journey for them. And they have questions. They have unknowns. They have faith they're going to have to have in something as they walk into this land. They have all sorts of different other cultures, Babylonian, Egyptian, who all have their gods, who all have their truth claims, and the Jews are trying to figure out and need to be reminded as we go into this new land, who is it, what is it that we need to believe, and what can we know about that God, and what is he like, and what has he done? And Genesis was written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Jews when they were within some phase of either about to get into the land or just entering the land. That in that moment, with all that they were facing, there would be truths about God from Genesis that would remind them of certain things. And so how does the story begin? What was the first sentence that Moses writes under the inspiration of Scripture to the Jewish people in that moment that still has absolute truth and relevance and application to us today? This is how it begins. In the beginning, God... In the beginning, God. Now, now this is huge because you know what? Before anything began, the very first character on the scene was God. The very first character on the scene was God. 
And if there's this little box in which there's our earth and is our world and is our universe and galaxy, and I know you scientists, there's probably other things. But if, if there's everything that we know that is real with our earth and universe around it, it, it's in a little tiny little box right here. And you know what's outside of that box? God. God. In the beginning, God, before the box, and there's this huge point and there's this huge truth that God is outside of what he created. He is not dependent upon it. He is not the things within the box of our life and our created world that constrain us. God's not constrained by. A big fancy kind of theological word for this is this idea that God is transcendent. God is transcendent, which means he exists above it all and beyond it all. And he's independent of the creation and he exists above the creation. We sang that song. We sang that when we said, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. That's what we're thinking, that there's a God who's transcendent, independent from the creation, other than the creation. He's majestic. And he's different than what he creates. What constrains God, what limits God is nothing. And what constrains me and constrains you doesn't constrain him. And as we begin this and we think about the first character on the scene, who's God, we've got to hold to this idea about him being transcendent. See, because here's what we sometimes do. I I think what I sometimes do, maybe what you sometimes do, is we sometimes reduce God down to a better version of ourselves. We reduced God down to the best version of ourselves. Or maybe you know like, okay, that's crazy. I can't reduce him down to like me. And so what we do is what we do is we think about the best person that we know. And we reduce God down to the best version of the best person that we know. And that's what we think about him. Guess what? God cannot be reduced down to the best version of the best person that you know. God cannot be reduced down to the best version of you because God is other than. God is beyond. God is transcendent. He is outside of. And so the question becomes for us, are there moments in our lives where we've become a little too flippant in what we think about God? You know, our view of God, it's easy to get into one of two extremes. And and I don't think much of Christianity, I I, I think Christianity isn't lived in the extremes many times. I think it's lived in the tension between those extremes. Because you and I can get on this extreme where we are so scared of God because we know he's transcendent, but we think he's about to zap us at any moment. Or we can get to the other side where it's like, I mean, you know, God's one of our Instagram followers and we become so flippant and casual. Does it mean we can't be real with God? No. Does it mean, though, that we need to be afraid of God? No. But what it does mean is we dare not become flippant with God. Have we lost our sense of wonder and our sense of awe about God who is transcendent and who is other than? And then the question becomes, well, wh- what did this God do? And we see that as we continue. This, <clears throat> this is what this God did. This transcendent God, it says this. In the beginning, God created Right? God created. God did not stay outside of our reality. In fact, what God did is God actually initiated. God engaged with. God started. Right? God drew near. God didn't remain distant from. What God did is he's come close to. And this God who is completely other has chosen to make himself known and chosen to draw close to where we are. The big fancy word for that is not only is God transcendent, but God is also imminent. Imminent. 
It doesn't mean arriving soon. Imminent means that this God who is completely beyond and outside of has chosen to come close to, that he's present, that he's near, that he's active and engaged within human history. And if we cling to this idea of God being transcendent, what it means is we dare not be too flippant with God. But if we cling to this idea of God being imminent, what it means is we also cling to this idea that God is present. Which means for you and for me, you're not alone. I don't mean like in a UFO kind of way. You're not alone. And then verse 2 kind of describes this really, really interesting thing that this God did. We see that there's this transcendent God who has become imminent. <clears throat> and verse 2 shows us what this, this God did and provides this interesting fact. And I'd, I'll be honest with you. I read this for the first time. I, I read this while I was studying, and I had totally forgotten that, okay, this. And today, this morning, throughout this whole series, as we walk through this series, I'm going to share some things, and we're going to talk about truth. And I am sharing with you the most conservative evangelical perspectives on these things. But there's going to be some things that maybe we've never heard. I remember going to seminary. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, totally conservative. And there were things like we're about that, I, that they would tell me that like, what? What are you talking about? But then what you realize, you know what you realize is in the book. And so here's this really fascinating thing that maybe we've skimmed over in this whole creation story. This transcendent God, this imminent God, there's this other fact about who this God is. Let, let, listen to what this God does. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's kind of this summary statement. Then verse 2 describes this description of something that was in existence. And it says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, here's what's really important to know. Oh, I hear like the book of Genesis being read to me. <laughs> I think we're in the generations of Abraham or something. <clears throat> here's what's really important to know. Next week, we're going to get into what the world is like after God creates it. And the way that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 end, the description of the created world is very, very different than the description at when God starts creating. There's some key words in here in this phrase that suggests that there's something not right about this. The earth was without form. The earth was void. There was darkness over the deep. For the Jewish readers for the first time, they would have heard that description, and it would have signaled to them that, whoa, something's broken. Something's broken. This word without form, we'll see it in a minute, but it's the word tohu, not tofu, Tohu, void, is only used, I think, let me make sure I say this correctly, void is a rare word that only occurs two times. And every time the word void occurs, you know what it describes? It describes something that has been judged by God. In the Old Testament, whenever there's darkness, that describes something that is evil or broken, deep, for the Jewish readers, is a word that describes chaos and confusion. There's something that's being described that's in existence before God creates what's described in the rest of the story that isn't right, that, that's broken, that appears to be judged from the language. And now some of people may think like, well, <clears throat> maybe God just like made it in that form, right? Maybe you've seen uh, a potter, potter who makes some clay and they spin it for a while and then it becomes this nice mug, right? Maybe the potter, they get this wet gloppy clay out and they throw it on that wheel and it's all bleh, and then they spin and it becomes perfect. And maybe some people think, well, I mean, if the world wasn't the way it was supposed to be, maybe God was just kind of like throwing some wet clay up there and it wasn't right, but then he created it, right? Maybe God made it tohu in the beginning without form, and, but the problem is God specifically tells us he didn't do that. The earth was made tohu. And later on in Isaiah, in Isaiah 45, 18, look at what it says here. Pop it up. 
For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty. You know what that word is? Tohu. Here's what we're saying. Show the Genesis account. This is what Genesis 1 tells us, this very first thing. It says, let's flip it up there. The earth was tohu. But then what Isaiah tells us is he did not create it tohu. So how did the earth get in that condition? How did the earth get judged? How did it get broken? How did it have this idea of wickedness around it? Well, Genesis 1 is silent on that. It doesn't tell us how. It just told us that was the condition. What most commentators look to is something that happened well before Genesis 1, because well before Genesis 1 and the accounts of Genesis 1, there was an angel who was jealous of God. And there was an angel who made a power play to try to take over heaven. And in, you can read about it, but it's this account of what we now refer to as Satan tried to take control of heaven. And as punishment for that, what we see is that God sent him out of heaven and cast him down to earth. And you can read about that in Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28. And what most commentators think, conservative commentators think there was some sort of earth. Satan rebelled. God cast him down to earth. And as part of that, that earth became then judged. That was covered with darkness. There was chaos. There was brokenness. It became without form because it was weighed down by this fallen angel who was now present within it in some sort of capacity. Is that absolutely what happened? It could be, but all we know is this, that when the accounts of Genesis begin, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. There's this <clears throat> substance of something that's tohu, dark, broken, deep, which means it's chaotic. And what does God do when he's confronted with that? You know what God does? The very next verse tells us, into that brokenness and into that chaos, God says these words. God said, let there be light. Let there be light. God comes and he starts to bring order and he starts to bring calm to the chaos and to the brokenness. And we'll walk through next week the account in which he does that and the structure in which he does that. And at the end again of Genesis 1 and at the end of Genesis 2, there are things that are created, that are made. And you know what God does? God looks at those things. It started with brokenness. He first said, I'm going to bring some order to this. Let there be light. He continues to develop order. When all that's done, you know what he does? He looks at it and says, this is very good. This is very good what I've created. And then in the very next chapter, Genesis 3, what we'll talk about. What was very good then becomes very bad because of our sin and our choices and our rebellion. And when it becomes very bad in Genesis chapter 3, when it becomes broken, when it becomes judged, when it becomes dark, when it becomes chaotic, do you know what God does again? God works to try to bring order to the chaos and to try to restore what is broken. And the rest of the Old Testament tells the story of how once again God looks into a chaotic situation with brokenness and he works to bring order. That's what the Old Testament's about. It's about God trying to do that, which is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And we look to the final fulfillment when King Jesus is ruling. God is transcendent. Let's not be flippant. God is imminent. We can have confidence that no matter what you're facing, he is near and he is present. And God is a God who what we've seen through the last piece of the text this morning is who brings order to chaos. And what we'll see throughout the Old Testament is that character of God being revealed, order 
to chaos. It was Wednesday afternoon, and I was home working on my sermon, and I was literally, sometimes I exaggerate. If I tell you stories about a Navy SEAL, I ain't been a Navy SEAL. I probably can't even do five push-ups now, okay? So you know that's exaggerating. I'm not exact. I was home on Wednesday afternoon. I was studying this text, trying to think about how do I present it, about God being a God who brings order to chaos. And as I was literally working through those concepts, there started to be some buzzing, some news about a crowd that was starting to develop around the Capitol. I'm continuing to work through and study God bringing order to chaos. And when in a few hours, you know, moments, hours later, what the Twitter feeds are showing, what the news is showing is that now there's a group of people inside the Capitol. And, and pretty quickly, what becomes clear and what we hear is now there's not only a group of people inside the Capitol, but there's been shots fired within the Capitol. Wednesday was a day that it's pretty hard to avoid the fact that there was some chaos in our culture. But Wednesday wasn't the only day this past year in which there's been chaos in our culture. Because throughout the summer and throughout the spring, in reaction to different events, we've seen weeks of chaos when other crowds of people were burning businesses and cities, and burning police cars, and rioting. And it's been a year filled with different moments that are chaotic. <clears throat> and what Wednesday confirmed is what a lot of us already knew by watching the whole year, that there's a lot of division in our country. And what this year, every different twist and turns, perhaps even more troubling, is what we continually see is there's a lot of division among Christians. And what's also troubling is as the division in our country continues to build and the division among Christians continues to widen, I know that for some of your families, there's some division that's starting to grow pretty significant among people who have different perspectives on some of these issues. It's been a year where there's been a lot of chaos. And here's the challenge as pastors, as your pastors, as your elders, as your leaders, we are prayerfully trying to pray and trying to discern the wisest ways to shepherd this body in these current moments. And what I, and I'll just speak for myself now. I won't speak for everybody, but we all are aligned in that. We love you guys. God has entrusted us to shepherd you in this moment <clears throat> amidst the division and amidst the chaos. And we want to do it wisely and we want to do it well. And what I know is, man, I, I, I could stumble over all this. I've, and this doesn't really matter, but maybe it does. I just want you to know hearts. I've done a lot of things in my life, and not, it does, I've done, I worked EMS, done CPR more than I need to have done. Then I did some stuff in law enforcement and dragged bad guys out of bed at 4.30 in the morning with guns drawn. I've been an attorney who's argued cases in federal court. I've been a pastor who's navigated a ton of different things within churches. And this is a challenging opportunity. And I just want you to know our hearts because I want you to know that we are care for you and we are trying to guide you and lead and shepherd our body in this moment with all these various divisions in our country and among Christians, among families in a way that honors God. That's our heart. And so the question is, it seems we need to try to put some of this in context. What can we as a church do? What can we as a church cling to? How do we try to have some footings amidst all the chaos? Well, you know what we can cling to? We can cling to the final point that we studied in Genesis. I am amazed 
whether it be different moments in our church when new pastors come or pastors leave or there's a crisis, moments in our country, I am amazed how the very text we're supposed to study for that day gives us some truth to hold on to in those moments. And today the truth we can hold on to this is that amidst all the chaos and division, remember that God brings order to chaos. Remember that God brings order to chaos. The second thing we can remember is this. And this is going to sound churchy, and don't listen to it as churchy. Listen to it as true. Remember, remember that Jesus is king. I, I have read the whole story. I, I do know how the pieces fit together. And what the story says is that one day, all the world powers we know now are going to be gone. All the political leaders we know now are going to be gone. All the forms of government, whether it's dictatorship, democratic republic, empire, going to be gone. But you know what? Jesus is still going to be king. And his kingdom is still going to prevail. In moments like this, amidst a lot of division, we remember that God brings order to chaos. We remember that Jesus is king. And then you know what we do? We do what Jesus tells us to do. And you know what Jesus tells us to do? He tells us to pray. Because we can all stumble upon this. But you know what? We go and we turn to the one who in these moments is in control and can give peace. Here's what First Timothy says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all those who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so on behalf of the pastors, on behalf of the elders, and on behalf of myself, I, I just am going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray individually on your own. And will you pray for our country? Will you, in your own, will you pray for peace in our country? Will you pray for the leaders who are over us, regardless of their political affiliation? Because you know who Christians had to pray for? An emperor who was burning them. Will you please individually pray for all of the political leaders, regardless of their political affiliations? And will you also pray for unity for our church? We're not divided. <clears throat> We're unified. I'm grateful for that. But I don't want that to change. And we as elders and leaders can't force that to happen. We probably can only get in the way of it happening. We need God to, in his absolute sovereignty, cement you and I together as a local church. Will you pray for that? You have an opportunity to pray individually, and we're, and we're going to extend an opportunity for us to pray corporately. This is why God's timing is amazing again, right? During the COVID situation, we launched these virtual prayer meetings, right? And, and this Wednesday was scheduled to launch a new one. And so this coming Wednesday, we're going to restart our virtual prayer time. So at the year, there are different topics that are prayed over and different verses that are prayed through. But what we're going to do is devote this coming Wednesday's prayer time online to simply praying for the things I said, for our country, for peace, for unity, for our church, for God to continue that. And it'll give you an opportunity as you need to, to pray for divisions that you find yourself in your own places, in your own relationships. And so if you're interested in doing that, 7 o'clock virtual, you can go on our website, scroll down a little bit, hit the Pray First tab, and it'll give you the Zoom invite, and you can be part of that, that opportunity. Um, but we didn't want to miss the chance to put this in context. We wanted you to hear our hearts. We want you to remember that God brings order to chaos, that Jesus is king, and that King Jesus wants us to pray. Next week, we're going to continue to unpack how God brings order to chaos. And the week after that, we're going to see how the chaos breaks again. And then the week after that, we're going to see how God brings order to chaos. But this week, we're going to end our time by just praying for what we find in our circumstances around us. So I'll ask you to join me in a word of prayer. I apologize for going a bit long. And then we'll get, get on our way. So let me pray. Uh, Father, we're in a moment. Um, as we've been in before, where there is a lot of confusion and chaos and disunity and a lot of peace. 
And we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we know that you ask us to come before you to pray for things and to pray for our leaders. And so, Father, right now I do. I do, I do what you invite us to do. And I pray for our leaders who are making decisions about what to do and choices. And I pray that you and your common grace will give sovereignty to them and, and or wisdom to them and clarity to them. I pray, Father, for the fractures uh, that are so deep within your body. And I pray for the anger between Christians and the divisions between Christians. And I pray, Father, for you to do what you do to bring restoration to different Christians who are facing those moments. Father, I pray for Calvary Church. And I am grateful that I don't know of any great divisions or disunity. And I'm grateful that on behalf of the pastors and elders and everybody here, we can come to you and ask you, Father, will you just protect us? Father, you've given us an opportunity to be the light of Jesus in Fairfield County in this unreached area where so many people don't want anything to do to you. And will you not allow us to blow up our own witness because of division? And in your absolute sovereignty and power of the Spirit, Father, will you bind us together with peace and unity for those people who are facing turmoil in their own families, God, will you give them wisdom? <clears throat> will you give the with them the opportunity to speak with gentleness and kindness? And Father, in moments when we look around us and see confusion, whether that be in our culture, in our lives, whatever it is, God, will you help us to remember that Jesus is King? Will you help us to remember that we are part of his kingdom and that the powers of hell shall not prevail against us. And may we live well for King Jesus who gave everything for us. May we be a sweet aroma of the gospel to a world in need. Father, that's my prayer on behalf of us. And we need your supernatural help to do all those things. And so I plead to you those things. And may we worship King Jesus well. Amen.